How you folks doing tonight? Have you ever looked into this thing called LARP? It stands for Live Action Role Playing. Uh, from what I understand, it's just Dungeons and Dragons, but more physical. I mean, you actually get to sword fight people and act out what's going on instead of rolling dice around. Now, I've been watching a bunch of old sword and sorcery movies lately, and I gotta tell you, I'm actually thinking about getting into it. Uh, I mean, of course, that would mean squeezing my fat ass into some chainmail, and, you know, let's be honest, how embarrassing is it gonna be when that chainmail eventually bursts and I'm in the middle of a duel with somebody? I, I mean, of course, they could always give me, like, a really cool nickname, like Gabriel the Unbound, or Gabriel the Uncontainable. Anyways... Uh, speaking of sword and sorcery movies, I got a couple for you tonight, so sit back and get ready for the Shrieks and Geeks Double Feature Show. episode two of the shrieks and geeks double feature show the best damn show on the internet for cult movie lovers like you i'm your host gabriel wellborn coming at you from quarantine in kansas city missouri and how the hell are you folks doing today well if you like swords boobs and magic then your day is about to get a lot better because tonight we are talking about death stalker and death stalker 2 duel of the titans our first movie tonight tells the story of a warrior mercenary called death stalker who honestly is kind of an asshole. I mean, in the opening scene, he saves a young woman from a pack of mutant rapists, only to try and fuck her ten seconds later. I mean, who does that? Uh, but Deathstalker is just another in this long line of low-budget films produced by Roger Corman, who, as we all know, is a master of low-budget and turning big profits. And uh, Corman had, he had this habit of going to countries that were just starting to build up their film industry, you know, they're offering all these incentives and grants for international filmmakers to come over. And Argentina just happened to be the place that year. So he uh, signed a 10-picture deal down there, and Deathstalker was the first of 10 that he did. Uh, now, before we go any further on this movie, do me a favor and uh, Google a picture of the movie poster for Deathstalker if you haven't already seen the movie poster, if you just forgot what it looks like. Uh, it's one of my favorite movie posters for the sword and sorcery genre, even though it depicts absolutely nothing that happens in the movie. I mean, you've got uh, an almost completely naked woman, big muscular dude with a sword, and then this big ogre creature with a mace uh, that the guy has to fight against. But it, it really, it, it's nothing to do with the movie, um, but it's still a really, really beautiful picture. Uh, a lot of people think uh, Frank Frazetta did this, but it was actually a Peruvian artist named Boris Vallejo uh, who had a very similar style to Frazetta. In, in fact, Vallejo did a lot of movie posters in the 80s. He did posters for all four of the Deathstalker films. He did Knight Riders, uh, Q the Winged Serpent, Barbarian Queen. M his most recognizable work, though, was uh, he actually did the poster for National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, so that's some fun info for you there. Uh, the director for this was James Spartaletti, uh, though he's credited as, as, credited as John Watson. Uh, I mean, he 
only directed one other film other than this, and that was a 1988 action movie, Under the Gun, starring Flash Gordon Sam Jones. Uh, they cast Rick Hill as the lead in it. The main character's name is Deathstalker, uh, which is literally the most ridiculous name ever, but, I mean, they make it work somehow. Um, but he didn't come back to do the second or third film, but he did come back and do uh, Deathstalker Part 4 in 1991, which will eventually probably make it onto this show as well. Um, now, in the movie Deathstalker, he's sent on a quest uh, to res- rescue Princess Cadille, played by uh, Playboy Playmate Barbie Benton, from the evil sorcerer Lord Munkar, uh, played by Richard Earhart. Uh, and he did actually, he did a really good job playing the villain in this. And he gives off a, kind of like a Vincent Price vibe. Uh, when, you know, whenever he speaks, you just kind of get that kind of uh, aura about him. But uh, if you watch closely during the movie, uh, Munkar always has this crazy dragon tattoo on the side of his head, which they actually had to hand paint every single day of filming. But there's one, like one shot where maybe like a few frames of the movie if you watch closely, the tattoo's actually on the wrong side for those few frames. And I didn't even notice it at first. My girlfriend had to point this one out to me. Um, but yeah, just a fun thing to watch out for. Now, as a bit of a side plot here, uh, in order to beat Mooncar, Deathstalker needs to retrieve these three uh, talismans of power, basically. There's a sword, a chalice, and an amulet. And when he brings all three of, to get, three of them together, he's supposed to be granted these great powers and the sword he gets really early in the film but the amulet and chalice are of course being held by Munkar Uh, so he's on this journey and he meets a crazy cast of characters Uh, the first one he meets is a cursed thief named Salmeron played by by Augusto Loretta who's a very famous Argentinian actor at the time Um, he has this, this really strange scene where he enters the cave and he finds this little troll creature there which is Salmeron and he has to basically, first he defeats a giant in battle, and then he has to somehow turn himself into a child to break the curse on Salmeron. It's actually kind of creepy, but, I mean, nothing in this movie really makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> um, but after he meets Salmeron and breaks his curse, he meets uh, the warrior Ogress, who is played by a British actor, Richard Brooker. Uh, now, if you're a horror fan, then you'll know uh, Richard Brooker from his work on Friday the 13th Part 3, where he played Jason Voorhees. In fact, he was the first Jason to wear that famous hockey mask. Uh, So he's kind of got like that, this immortal place in slasher movie history as well. Uh, But, I mean, Brooker, he did a lot of stuff on this film, really. He wasn't just an actor. and uh, I mean, obviously he plays Ogress, but he also fills in for a bunch of unnamed uh, fighters later on where you don't see their faces. Uh, he was also the horse wrangler on set. He was a stunt man, a stunt coordinator. Uh, he did all these things, really. He even designed all the uh, fight scenes. So, really, really put himself out there to make this film work. Um, most notably, though, he's going to stand out in this movie for his armor. When you first meet the guy, he's wearing basically an extreme halter top. Uh, crop top, I'm sorry. But, I mean, it. it doesn't even cover his pecs. Um, it's like the first time... It's like the one example that I know of where the men have to basically see what it's like to be a female in these fantasy movies. 
I mean, it protects nothing. It's not practical in any way. But it's part of the movie, so we're going to talk about it. Um, now, Richard Brooker, he uh, he actually filled in for Rick Hill on the Blu-ray of this movie. Uh, Rick Hill was supposed to come in and do the commentary, and he wasn't able to make it work in his schedule, so uh, Brooker came in and filled in for him. And he, he's probably the highlight of that commentary, if you ever get the Blu-ray copy. A lot of good insight. Unfortunately, he doesn't really address his armor. But anything else you would want him to talk about, he really does. Uh, sadly, uh, Richard Brooker actually passed away a few years after doing the commentary. Uh, but when Deathstalker meets Ogress in the movie, he learns that Munkar, the sorcerer, is hosting a fighting tournament, and the winner of that tournament is supposed to become Munkar's successor. Uh, so there's a lot of so there's a lot of kind of like side There's like the whole you got to unite the three items for power. You got to save the princess. You gotta win the fighting tournament. A lot of different subplots going on here, uh, which is kind of like a staple for Corman movies. I mean, you remember last week we did the movie Piranha, where he had three or four different climaxes to the movie. Uh, the last companion that Deathstalker meets in the movie is Kyra, played by Lana Clarkson. Uh, I mean, she looks good in this movie and she went on to do a lot more of these low budget fantasy and sword and sorcery movies in the 80s uh mostly with roger corman uh, unfortunately she also passed away she passed away in 2003 uh she was actually murdered by the record producer phil Spector at his home and he ended up being convicted of second degree murder for that so uh, moment of silence for lana clarkson and richard brooker Now, while we're on the subject of gorgeous women, all those lovely ladies that you see in the party-slash-orgy sequence, those are actually supermodels from all over South America that were flown in specifically for this movie. Uh, and most of the men in those scenes as well, the fighters and uh, the warriors, those were all played by professional wrestlers from Argentina. So when you watch closely, you can see how there's a lot of like professional wrestler-type choreography going on with their fights um and then you have the that kind of gang of mutant rapists at the beginning of the movie uh those were actually argentinian mimes a, a troop of mimes from down there and while we're talking about the rapey mutants we should also throw some uh, props out to the special effects and prosthetics department for this movie I, i've seen a lot of reviews i've seen a lot of people talking about this movie where they poke fun and talk smack on the special effects and if you're one of those people, you can just shut the hell up because before going down to Argentina to work on this movie, the special effects department had all of two weeks to prepare. And when you watch the movie, what they were able to accomplish with such little prep time is actually pretty good. I mean, every single one of those mutants, uh, mutants at the beginning of the movie, they're sporting a different uh, prosthesis. So, like, none of them look the same. And... You know, they also had to do, on the on the fly, they had to do the puppet for the Salmeron when he's still the little troll creature. And that took them all of two days to do. And while it's not, you know, it, it's definitely not a Jim Henson Muppet or anything, but it's, I mean, it serves its purpose for the movie. And given that they only had two days to do it, I find it pretty impressive. If you don't, you can kiss my ass. Now, overall, this movie, it, it's definitely a ripoff of Conan. 
uh, it's probably the most financially successful ripoff of Conan, though. And it's still really entertaining, as long as you don't go into it with these high expectations. And it seems that, like, it, uh, I mean, the movie itself doesn't take everything too seriously. There's a lot of good jokes in there, some self-aware humor that they would bring back a lot more for the second film. Um, probably the best kind of gag they put in the movie, though, is there's this uh, character. He, they don't think I don't think they ever gave him a name, but he's got a basically a pig head and a guy's body. And during the party scene, he actually picks up a roast pig head, looks at the camera, looks back at the pig head, and then just takes a huge bite out of it. Uh, and the the actual uh, battle between Deathstalker and this pig guy towards the end of the movie is probably my favorite of the movie. Um, you're not going to get any of those modern day super choreographed, fast paced fights, but it's still Really fun to watch. Uh, Richard Brooker again choreographed that fight, um, as well as all the others in the movie. So, as well as being an actor, we got to give him props for all the other work he did on here. Um, now, definitely check this movie out if you haven't seen it. It's a lot of cheesy fun for sword and sorcery fans. You kind of have to get past the fact that the main character is kind of a douche. Uh, but it's hardly the first film that has suffered that problem, so I mean we'll give it we'll give it a pass. Um, if you're if you are a fan and you're looking for it, uh, definitely check out the Blu-ray copy from Shout Factory. It's actually a double feature disc. It comes with Deathstalker and Deathstalker Two, which I'll be talking about next. The transfer's pretty ac- adequate. There's not a whole lot of special features other than the trailers and commentaries. Uh, probably the best-looking copy of the movie to date, though. So that's going to do it for the first Deathstalker movie. Let's go ahead and get into the sequel, Deathstalker 2, Duel of the Titans. Uh, this movie has so little in common with its predecessor that it's almost laughable. But where the first movie was the first of the ten movies Corman, uh, Roger Corman produced in Argentina, this one would be the tenth and final. Now, originally they had intended this movie to be a much more serious journey, a more direct sequel to the first movie uh, but if you have seen Deathstalker 2 you know that plans must have changed at some point in fact when director Jim Wynorski got a hold of the script he basically threw it in the trash and rewrote the entire thing on set uh, with the writers as a self-aware almost parody film of the first one now the most obvious difference is the actor who plays Deathstalker uh, for whatever reason, Rick Hill did not return, and they brought in Jim Terleski to replace him. Um, Jim uh, Terleski was actually seven and a half years younger than Hill, so noticeably he's younger. Uh, he's a lot smaller uh, as far as his build, and he also opted to use his real hair instead of that horrendous wig that Rick Hill was using in the first film. But... Uh, Terleski had a lot of fun on the film. He speaks of it with a lot of humor when he's asked about it. Um, the cast also included Penthouse Pet and Monique Gabrielle. Uh, she was in a dual role. She plays the good and evil versions of Princess Evie. And uh, it's been told that at times uh, Monique wasn't too happy on set. Apparently she wasn't quite used to the lack of am- amenities that were provided in the Argentinian sets. But uh, she still did the movie. Apparently had a lot of fun doing it when she wasn't complaining. Uh, by the way, that scene in the hut where she's using the crystal ball to read the future, that was actually a glass doorknob. Uh, cl- clearly, they spared no expense for this movie. Uh, John John Lazar was also in this. He was probably the most famous actor at the time, 
He played the main villain, Jarek, and he did a really good job portraying him as this kind of cocky, better-than-thou-art sorcerer asshole type. Uh, Lazar obviously is best known for his role on Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Uh, my favorite in the movie, though, is Tony Naples as Sultana, uh, Jarek's henchwoman. And damn it, she looks good in this, though. Um, in her opening, she- opening scene, she's actually wearing this kind of animal print deal, and it just looks really good on her. Uh, and she actually gets to say the name of the movie in the movie when she says she'll have her revenge and Deathstalker 2. Um, the plot of the movie is fairly simple. Deathstalker is basically recruited by the princess to overthrow Jarek, who has put an imposter on the throne in her place. And like I said, the movie was never meant to be taken that seriously. There's a lot of humor in it. There's nods to other movies. Uh, I mean, they basically parody everything, and ref- they parody and reference everything from Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, all the way back to classics like It Happened One Night. They even go into Looney Tune territory at some parts. Uh, but you'll notice that in most of the scenes where the hero is, he has to fight or escape from henchmen, the bad guys are always in threes. And this is because they have the same three stuntman actors playing all of the unnamed henchmen in the movie. And that's why they would always have their faces covered with a scarf or something, so you couldn't tell that it was the same people. But we, but we know. Uh, the exception of this is Chin the Pirate and his men. Uh, Chin was played by Argentinian actor Marcos Warnski. And the four or five mercenaries that he brings in to try and kill Deathstalker were all famous professional wrestlers. Uh, unlike the last movie, though, this one was made during a time when pro wrestling was really taking off in Argentina. So all these guys are actually household names down there playing these five incompetent mercenaries. Uh, my favorite scene in the movie is probably the graveyard sequence when the uh, zombies come up and attack uh, Princess Evie and Deathstalker's in the mausoleum talking to Jarek's hologram or whatever. Uh, I think it's a really creepy scene even though it's very low budget. I mean all the people portraying the zombies were just local people. They weren't actors. Uh, they were from the town where they were filming. They just gave them a few bucks to come in and put the makeup on. Um, the graves were all made by 2 by 4s Like It's just really low budget. Um, but it's a really good scene, and there's a really uh, there's also a really good outtake at the end of the movie during the credits where John Treleski grabs a torch to ward off the zombies, and the torch had been burning for a couple hours, so it was very hot, and he just tosses it down and swears at it. Another one of my favorite scenes is the wrestling match when Deathstalker is uh, abducted by the Amazon women and has to trial has his trial by combat for his crimes against womandom, uh, and he ends up having to fight against this giant Amazonian woman who is actually played by Dee Boer, um, who was a famous pro wrestler in the states at the time. She was a part of the original Glow, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Um, and she was billed as Matilda the Hun and Queen Kong. Uh, she did a lot of movies, though, with, with cameo appearances. You probably would recognize her from Spaceballs as the bearded lady that kicks Rick Moranis out of his escape pod. Uh, but like I said earlier, this was the last Corman movie made in Argentina. And it was the last to use uh, the sets. Now, all ten of the movies that he made down there basically used, reused all of the Deathstalker sets. And that's why they all look so familiar. Uh, they would just do minimal alterations or change the color scheme. And 
this movie, I actually enjoy it a little more than the first one just because it is so self-aware and it's kind of silly, but it still has some good sword duels and all the cheesy one-liners that you come to expect from those sword and sorcery movies of the time. Um, and, of course, the women in it. The women are gorgeous. Uh, and that's actually going to bring me to my top five for tonight. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time tonight, at the end of each episode, I like to do a top five or a top ten countdown. Um, tonight's was actually voted on by members of the Facebook group Sword and Sorcery Movies of the 1980s. Uh, if you like these kind of fantasy movies from the 80s, definitely check that group out. I'll post a link on our Facebook page. Um, a lot of lively debates and discussions about the genre. Uh, but our poll was the top five sexiest women from Deathstalker and Deathstalker 2. So here we go. Uh, number five, my personal favorite, is Tony Naples as the evil Sultana in Deathstalker 2. Uh, fun fact, she's the only one in the list who doesn't show her breasts at some point in the movie. Uh, her character has a nude scene in the film. It's very brief, but instead of using... Uh, Tony Naples, they used the body double for that scene, even though Miss Naples uh, has said on more than one occasion that she would have gladly done the nude scene. Uh, number four, it's Maria Sokas as the Amazonian queen in Deathstalker 2. Uh, Maria was a very well-known Argentinian actress at the time. Uh, she'd actually done another Roger Corman fantasy movie, The Warrior and the Sorceress with David Carradine, which was actually uh, based on Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. It's the same movie they based uh, Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis and probably more famously A Fistful of Dollars with uh, Clint Eastwood. Number three is Monique Gabrielle as Princess Evie in Deathstalker 2. Uh, and Miss Gabrielle hails from my hometown of Kansas, Kansas City, so you know we're breeding them right down here. Number two is Barbie Benton as Princess Codile in Deathstalker. And number one, Lana Clarkson as the lovely and badass Kyra from Deathstalker. There you go, your top five. And that's going to do it for me, folks. Uh, once again, I want to thank Eric Parsons for do producing this thing. You can catch Eric and I on our other podcast, Strange and Eerie Tales. Uh, and if you like this video, make sure you like and follow our Facebook page. Like and share the podcast with your friends. Spread the good word, if you will. Uh, once again, I'm Gabriel Wellborn, hoping you'll stay groovy and have a good night.